Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 68, and I'm your host, Salvatore. On today's episode, we'll be talking with Melanie Matthews, who is a friend and a colleague of mine, and also a returning guest on the show, (laughs) which is great. Uh, Me and Melanie first met when she was a placement student, and uh, we worked together at For Youth Initiative. And then we also worked together on a fundraising committee at a group home we used to work at, at Airborne House. Um, so since we last spoke with Melanie, she has now has her own podcast, which is great, where she talks with social workers and um, people who work with social workers as well. Um about their experiences. And uh, she also has her own private practice that offers CBT and DBT counseling in Toronto. So I'm so, so looking forward to talking with Melanie again. Um, Melanie, would you like to introduce yourself again? Sure. Thanks for having me back. So as you said, my name is Melanie. I'm a registered social worker. I have both Bachelor of Social Work and Master's of Social Work degrees. Um, I've worked in a variety of different settings, but right now I divide my time between uh, doing some counseling, direct practice work, as well as I'm a consultant. I've done research evaluation and grant writing with a couple of not-for-profits in Toronto for the past couple of years now. And yeah, Salvatore and I worked together for a while, and I'm so glad that we're able to collaborate on something again. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) So I'm sure you know uh, what we do here on Your Right to Speak, and we just dive into it and see where the journey takes us. So uh, I'll ask you the first question, and uh, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Sounds good. So I know you currently have your podcast. I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about it and why you want to start it. Sure. So yeah, my podcast, the Social Work Social Podcast, it came about because of two reasons. One, being super honest, I started it during the first quarantine and I was just real bored. I needed something to do with my time. I needed something to be able to, you know, occupy me while we were just sitting at home, not doing anything. Um, And so I thought, well, podcast seems easy. It's not, by the way, but I thought so at the time. Um, And the reason that I chose to talk about the topics I did is because I've done a lot of research in the past um, to do with mental health as well as, you know, youth work and a bunch of other stuff. I've published a couple articles. I've put out a bunch of reports and I'm pretty sure nobody has read any of them. (laughs) And it's so frustrating. It was, I put so much work and so much effort into these and and they just kind of sit there. And I thought it would be really cool to put it in this more digestible way to start a podcast and to talk about it and to share information and stories uh, through interviews with other people, to be able to just have really honest conversations about mental health and and well-being. And now my second season is going to have a lot to do with them. like social justice advocacy and stuff like that as well. So yeah, it's been really fun. It sounds amazing. And I know you do amazing work. So (laughs) hopefully the listeners know too now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, because I was on one of your podcast episodes and we kind of talked about working with, you know, how CYC practitioners work with social workers. So I kind of want to a little bit expand on that on our show here. 
Um, have you uh, witnessed, like I've kind of noticed how so CYC professionals or practitioners um, are seen lesser than social workers in the youth sector. Have you also found that? And um, how do you think we can bridge that gap? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that I've noticed um, in a couple of different ways, honestly. One of them being, I mean, I've told you before, people tend to either glorify social workers or think that we're the absolute scum of the earth. And in these different social service agencies, we tend to be glorified a lot. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're registered with a, with a governing body. So I'm registered with the Ontario College of Social Workers and Social Service Workers. And for some reason, that registration, me paying that $360 a year to get a number attached to my name, has somehow become synonymous with being more professional. Mm. I'm not entirely sure why. But I feel like that's definitely the case from the perspective of these agencies, at least. And then I feel like that kind of carries over into the actual workers themselves, because they see that sometimes social workers make more money or were valued more. And it creates this kind of animosity. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And it's so interesting. I found that like, or from what I hear, you know, in other provinces, for example, like British Columbia, social workers and CYCs are held at the same level. And actually CYCs could work as, um, what are they called? Family protection uh, workers or something like that, right? Where here in Ontario, you need to be a social worker to get that type of role, right? So it's so interesting that here in Ontario, you know, we're kind of seen as this lesser form of social workers. And I mean, I've worked with social workers. I love working with social workers. I'm not downplaying any of the training or education, but in terms of working with youth, you know, I see CYC's having um, a specialty, you know, like I've spent four years out of my life really understanding child and youth development, youth engagement, and really breaking it down where on the flip side, social work, you know, education and training is kind of broad, right? Because you have to be able to work with anyone. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I'm thinking back to like my undergrad specifically, because my master's degree was very theoretical. It was research-based. I learned absolutely no practical skills whatsoever. So take that off the table. But in terms of my undergrad, I don't even think I took a course on any sort of uh, like specialization in children. I know there was one option for a child welfare course, but I didn't take it because I didn't want to. Um, I took a course on social work with the elderly. I took a course on, you know, crisis intervention. Um, I did courses on counseling skills, but I didn't specifically learn to work with youth. So why is it that my experience and my education is valued more than yours when I don't, I didn't specialize in that. Yeah, no, it's, it's so, it's so weird because, you know, like I said, in BC, you know, the CYC field is not accredited. But in BC, it's so different, you know, um, and I kind of relate some of that fact to that um, 
in BC, they need the workers. Ontario, you know, the job market is very difficult because everyone is wanting a job. You know, there's not enough. There is enough CYCs and social workers in some respects, right? A lot of us look at other provinces for work. But still, you know, it's just, it's so disheartening for me, you know, because, you know, right now at my current place, my other coworker, my other team member, you know, we have the exact same job you know, get paid the exact same thing. And she's a social worker and I'm a CYC or have a CYC background. And that's how it really should be. You know, like we're really working in the same sector. There's not, unless you're having, like I said, your own private practice or anything like that, like we're really doing the same work. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And there's really no reason that there should be that divide. Um, I mean, like you said, we met because you were a full-time staff at an organization where I was a placement student. I looked up to you as a mentor. I thought you were fantastic. Um, And it never really crossed my mind that because your education was different than mine, that somehow it wasn't applicable um, or somehow I was going to surpass you once I had my degree, because that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And, you know, we kind of do it, you know, the agencies kind of do it to ourselves, meaning that, you know, when I, it took me a while to find the job that I'm in now and, you know, all the job searching, it was social work background or equivalent, social work background or equivalent. I'm the equivalent, but, you know, when HR is looking at the resumes, they're not really looking at the equivalent, they're looking at the social work, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's just not fair, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, like I said, I have four years of training, you know, and it's not to discount any of the social work training because, you know, it's great. And I'm not trying to, to bash that at all. But, you know, even for me to become a child protection worker, you know, I, I CYCs need that social work background. And, you know, I hate to say this, and there's going to be a lot of CYCs that are probably going to uh, <laughs> hate me for saying it. But, you know, when I have placement students ask me what type of masters they should go into, um, because I know the social work background, there's more opportunities. I often tell them to get their MSW, you know, and unless they want to become a prof in the CYC field, Getting a master's in CYC is really not going to get you that much in this province, at least. And I, I can hear all the yelling and, you know, all the, you know, the people, who all CYCs who are, you know, are leading this field yelling, you know, why are you saying that? But it's the honest truth, though, right? Like, unless you have an MSW, it's going to be very, very difficult. It took me, you know, when we first met, it took me years, years. And how long ago was that? That was a long time ago. <laughs> You know, Um, so, yeah, anyways, I also uh, wanted to ask, I'm assuming you've worked with child and youth care practitioners in the past. Um, I was wondering what your experience has been and what has been the challenges and strengths to that? Yeah, I've worked with a number of child and youth care practitioners, um, you being one of them, of course. Um, but also a few others at F40 Initiative and just in other places in my career as well. And I honestly, when you said that question, it was like, what has my experience been? 
Because to be honest, I never really saw a huge difference between social workers and child and youth care practitioners. So I almost have to like rack my brain to think, man, like what was that experience like? And the one thing that does really stand out to me is I really resonated with that comment you made about how, you know, you tell people who are trying to get a master's degree that they should get their MSW. And that's come up a few times, actually. I'm thinking now about all the people that I know who decided to go on and get a master's degree after getting their CYC, and all of them wanted an MSW because it does really open up so many doors. So I'd say that's probably the only real downside is I see these people who have real passion for child and youth work going into social work, which isn't necessarily child and youth work at all. And it's, it's so, it's disheartening. It is really disappointing that people feel the need to go into a field that they're not, or maybe not a field of an education that they're not really passionate about just because their job opportunities will be better afterwards. And that's really a shame. Yeah, no, it is. And I, you know, a lot of people that I went to school with in child and youth care ended up going together in the studies, right? Knowing that they, uh, weren't going to get a, a lot of doors open for them if they have gone the CYC route. Um, and for me, you know, I've often said to people that I do have a master's in public policy um, and I'm fortunate to have that master's because it's given me a different type of thinking. However, if I would have gone my MSW, I bet you would have gotten a job a lot quicker. Right? And it's... I just think it's unfortunate. I mean, there's... the field could learn so much more from or gain so much more from child and youth care practitioners if there was value put in there, right? And I often say it that we're kind of seen as the daycare teachers of social services, you know, like there's a lot of values for ECEs and they teach young children in early years a lot of valuable lessons and, you know, they're downplayed just as much as we are, right? So, Yeah, we're kind of the daycare teachers of, or we're seen as the daycare teachers of social services. Just, it's just unfortunate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like having that diversity of knowledge is really important. I mean, that's why on my podcast, I started out just by talking to social workers. And now in my second season, I'm like, well, that's, you know, that's not enough. I should talk to a lot of other people too. And that's honestly why I branched out to all of these other different people is because that diversity of knowledge and experience is so important, especially when you're talking about some sort of specialization. We need people who have that specialized knowledge as well as all these other backgrounds as well. Like you coming into your work with your particular master's degree is really important because we need more people who have that experience in child and youth care, making policies and doing evaluation and really getting down to the systems level of our system. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. And, you know, I thought it was so interesting that it took me like my master's, what people were scared of. You know, I remember going in interviews and people saying, we don't think you're going to last year this month because you're master's. I'm like, that's not why I got my master's. I got my master's to understand certain things, right? And eventually when I move up in an agency, I'll know how to do policies in a way that represents the frontline need as well, right? Um, Even, you know, I remember trying to apply for the Ontario government 
And I wouldn't even get looked at, right? Because yes, although I have a master's, I have a bachelor's in child and youth care. And you would think it would be a no brainer, to be honest, you know? Um, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about uh, your podcast and if you've had any favorite episodes um, or if you've, what you've learned from your guests so far. Oh, I feel like I've learned so much from my guests so far. It's actually really hard to think of a favorite episode because I think that there were really different takeaways from every one of them. I'd say that in my first season, I did a lot of episodes that were just me talking as well. And those were my least favorite episodes. One, because talking by yourself is just really difficult. But two, I feel like just getting the other person's perspective was so important. Um, I mean, podcasts where there's just one person talking are great. You get a lot of really good information. But the ones where there are conversations, so many things come up that you wouldn't otherwise think about. So I don't know. I think every one of them was really interesting. But the ones that were really specialized, I think, were the most interesting. So in my first season, I had on um, an Indigenous social worker. And she was wonderful. Uh, The diversity of experience she has, as well as her own personal story, so amazing. Absolutely incredible. I'd say if you only listen to one of my episodes, that's the one you should listen to for sure. Great. Uh, well, I definitely will do that. <laughs> um, so we're going to get more into the reflective end of it because I think it's important. Um, what have you learned in your career so far with working with young people? Oh, that's such a big question. I learned. I feel like I've learned so many different things. I think that, I mean, one thing that people don't always realize about me, because I live and I work in Toronto, right? Um, And I think sometimes people take for granted that I've always been here because I really like Toronto. Talk a lot about Toronto. I know the public transit system really well because I was really enthusiastic about it. So I think that people don't always realize I've only been here for a couple of years. And before that, I lived in London, Ontario, not London, England. I'm not that cool. Um, And and London's great. It's kind of a mid-sized city, but it's very, very white. And before that, I lived in an even smaller town called Ingersoll which only had about 11,000 people. Yeah, I can see on your face, where is that? (laughs) Middle of nowhere is where it is. We don't have very many tourist attractions. We had a cheese museum. That was about it. So nobody ever went to Ingersoll. No reason to go there. Um, But it it was this really small town of about 11,000 people. And in my high school graduating class, we had a couple of Indigenous kids. One girl who had a Chinese background, but she had been adopted by white parents and two mixed kids. And that's it. (laughs) So if we're talking about understanding diversity and different perspectives, I didn't have that. I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. And so by coming to Toronto and working with all of these young people who are very, very open about their experiences and their needs and the things that are important in their lives, I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is to see things from other people's perspectives, um, to understand where people are coming from. Um, We want to start throwing big words out there, intersectionality, understanding how different aspects of a person's life intersect and uh, change the way they experience the world. 
I feel like that's the biggest thing that I've learned in my past few years working with young people. You know, I'm so happy you said all of that because it's truly one of the reasons why I start wanted to start this podcast was to learn about those intersectionalities and, you know, lived experience, right? Like we all come from these different perspectives and, you know, our lived experience, for me, lived experience is one of the most important pieces, right? And it should be one of the leading things in our fields, right? Um, and we really, and I'm sure you know, now that you have a podcast, there's just so much to learn from lived experience. There's so much value in that, right? Uh, beyond the data. <laughs> um, so we're almost near the end. I just have two more questions. Um, the first one is, what advice would you be able to give people entering social services in working with young people? Mm. I'd say be open-minded. Go into it knowing that you know nothing. You know, regardless of what your educational background is, regardless of how much you've learned, you know, we're working with youth at the center. We're meeting them where they're at. And that means that we have to take into account what they want and what they've experienced. So walking into every interaction with a young person, putting aside what you think you know, and acknowledging that that person in front of you is unique. I think that's probably the most important advice I could give someone because I think often we make assumptions. And I think that not just for social workers, but especially for social workers, because some people do really internalize the whole glorification of social work. And we go into it thinking that we are experts and we're not. We're just people with some specialized knowledge and skills, but we have to apply it to every unique person. So going in open-minded very long-winded of saying, be open-minded. <laughs> I love it. Um, and the last question, which I know you, it's become the trademark and I've asked you before, but uh, I'm going to ask you again. <laughs> what does advocacy mean to you? I think my understanding of advocacy has actually changed over time. I think that knowing what I know now and learning all these different things, I think that advocacy to me is now using my power and experience to be able to try to find more equity for people who don't have all of the advantages that I do. I'm not saying that I'm super rich or anything at this point, but I do have an MSW and I do have a fairly good job. I, I make enough money to be able to afford to live in Toronto, which people live in Toronto, that's saying something because it's really expensive. So I think advocacy for me is acknowledging where I'm at in life and working towards trying to increase the equity, make sure that everyone has the equal opportunity to be able to reach their full potential to do what they want to do in their life. And that can take all kinds of different forms, honestly. I know that you do a lot of volunteer work and getting out there and, you know, representing youth and elevating their voices through that volunteer work is really important. Um, a lot of my advocacy at this point takes the form of grant writing, honestly. I've picked a few populations and a few organizations that I think are doing really important work and putting in my efforts to try to get them enough money to be able to continue that work. I may not be able to directly contribute to those advocacy activities, but I can make sure that they have the money to be able to do it themselves. And to me, that's what my advocacy work is right now. Listen, that advocacy work is important because 
agencies need money <laughs> and uh, you know without your support uh their services may be greatly decreased so that's just as important as any other work that anyone does well thank you i appreciate that i work really hard doing it so it's it's always a really great payoff to see the really amazing work that those organizations do with that money um, to see the difference that they're making in young people's lives um before we end off, I was just wondering if there's anything else you want to let the listeners know or any way you want to end off. Uh, well, I mean, I can be real selfish and plug my own podcast um, <laughs> because I would hope that people would be interested in in listening to that, too. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram at Social Work Social. Um, I'm also on there, Melanie Matthews Counseling, which is my private practice. Um, I post some fun stuff there occasionally. Um, Lots of pictures of flowers. It's the only thing I'm good at, at photographing. Um, so that's what my brand has now revolved around because it's, it's the only visual stuff I can do. Um, but I think that in terms of what I would want to say, man, follow your dreams. If you want to be a child and youth care practitioner, you should go for it. I think that we need more people to be going into that field. Um, people who are going to really advocate for the field to really legitimize child and youth care practitioners. Um, and I hate that word. I hate it so much. Why should you have to legitimize your knowledge? But unfortunately, it is a reality. I would really like to see all of us get to a point where we're recognized as being valuable, that social workers aren't glorified over other professionals, that we can really work together to do the best work possible for the young people. I love that we're ending it on that note. Um, thank you again for being part of the show. It was lovely having you on the show again. Um, your Right to Speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. And uh, let's raise awareness together, everyone. 